Last week we talked about uh, Jonah and the questions, uh, two questions we talked about were, were uh, you know, does it affect anyone else? Turn this on. We'll get, we'll get our acts together here. Don't worry. Just give us a moment. Does it affect anyone else? What's the answer to that? Yeah, it always affects other people, doesn't it? When we're running from God, when we're not doing what He wants, it always affects for good or for bad. If we're doing the right thing, it blesses the people around us. And if we're going the wrong direction, you know. But even, even in ultimately, God used even Jonah's disobedience to reach those sailors. Remember that? They actually turned to Yahweh in the end themselves, which is kind of amazing that God can use even our faults and failures. Like, how can he do that? Like, I don't know. I can't do that. But he can do that. So, but just, just keep in mind that, uh, you know, it does affect other people around us. And the second question, what does God do when we're running? Well, really, the answer is that he doesn't let us go, right? He doesn't let us go. He, he, he will keep his hands upon us. We sang that today, you never let go. He never lets go of us. That's amazing. I don't know if you or, you or I have the patience with someone else who's running away from us. In the end, we finally go, okay, go, forget it. I'm done with you. You ever say that? I'm done with you. Go ahead and say that to me. Okay. Can I go home now? Can I go to the potluck now? I'm done with you. That's something you will never hear God say to you. If you're one of his kids, he says, you're never going to say, I'm done with you. He might turn the heat up, and that's what he does sometimes. He challenges Jonah, doesn't he? He turns the heat up. Interestingly enough, he uses unbelievers to kind of get the message to him. I was talking to uh, Connie, and she says that it's okay to coddle people. But God doesn't coddle Jonah, does he, Connie? Where are you? She's not even here. I use her as an example, and she's not even here. Whatever. That's what I say. Hey, we're getting a great start here today, aren't we? Where does Jonah end up in the middle of all this? He ends up in the belly of a great fish. There's a great fish out there, right? Look with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at the last verse before we get into chapter 2 here. If uh, you haven't already turned there, the book of Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, it says, but, Jonah's out there causing all this grief and trouble, but the Lord. That's, that's, a, that's a telling little three words, isn't it? But the Lord. You can never rule him out. You can never write him off because he's always going to be there. And it says he provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, you looking at this and, you know, you're thinking about it. The, the NIV says provided. You know, we think about God providing. We pray for him to provide, you know, for our rent and for our food and for the things that we need and want. Sometimes God provides things that we don't necessarily want, but that we need, right? God, God provided this great fish. I don't think Jonah really wanted the great fish. 
Again, earlier we saw he says, just throw me in, it'll be all over with, and I won't have to worry about this anymore. And God said, no, you're not done. I'm not done with you yet. God was not through with him. You know, thinking about this whole concept of, of the great fish, and, you know, people have used the term whale right through the centuries, really. And, and just that whole concept, is it possible? Could it have happened? Well, I said to you the first Sunday that, that I believe this is a historical account. This isn't the parable or a story or an allegory. This is a historical account. And, and you know, when you look at these things, the, the miraculous, Angelina said they need miracles to, to do what God is asking them to do. Well, God's going to need to do the miraculous. And, and if God wanted Jonah to still do something, for him to do something miraculous, is that a problem? You see, humanism tells us that you must only look at things from a very human level. That's what humanism is, right? A humanistic viewpoint. But if we have got a, a, a biblical worldview, then we should say God is able to do whatever God wants to do. And so is it impossible for God to provide a great fish or whale, whatever it might be? This book, as I said then, is full of miraculous things. And so if we you know, have problems with Genesis 1-1, well, then we're going to have problems with this too, and we might as well just go home and watch TV. Right? right. But we believe in something bigger than that. And the Bible declares that God is the God who does the miraculous. No problem. You know, uh, I got this from, uh, from Anthony, showing the sizes, relative sizes. That's the blue whale up there, and, uh, you know, a gray whale, and there's a, the sperm whale is even larger. Uh, but this is kind of the size of a regular city bus. So could he fit inside there? I, you know, I kind of think he could. Don't you think he could? What? But this next one I really like because, you know, God knows how to take care of his people. And these were the accommodations. <laughs> right? Isn't that the way? <laughs> isn't that the way it was? He says, I'm liking this. Jonah says, no problem, I'm, I'm really liking this. But when we read in chapter 2 the prayer, that, the prayer that he prays, it's nothing like that, right? It's nothing like that. Could he survive in the true situation of what it was like? Couldn't God take care of him? Again, no problem for the God who created the universe. Why would that be a problem? Why? Because we want to look at it from a very human viewpoint. And, and we're going to get in trouble every time we do that. Now, Jesus, you remember him, right? Jesus confirmed this account. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and it's in the other Gospels as well. Uh, at least two of the other Gospels. But Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39, 
What does it say there? Looking at verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they said to him, that is to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. They had this attitude, you know, just do miracles, uh, you know, at our bidding. Well, first of all, he doesn't do that, right? He, he's not, you know, bound to our whims. We have, to, we have to submit to him. But he said in verse 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except what? The sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, he didn't say, you know, the story of Jonah. He says, as Jonah was three days and three nights. He confirmed that account. Not only that, but he talks about it as being a sign that would point ahead to the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of himself, of Jesus. Let's turn back to Jonah. So Jesus confirmed the account here. And so we're looking now in, into chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. And we see Jonah's prayer there. And, uh, you know, it, Jonah, let's read it, verse, verse 1, chapter 2. From inside the fish, from where? Inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now that, that, that verse there kind of has stuck with me. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Who's God? His God. He still had this relationship with God. It was kind of a, a little bit of a problem, right, was, was happening, right? Now, we find Jonah inside the fish, but he could have turned back to God sooner, I think. When he was on the deck of the boat, he could have said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to turn back to God right now. But what did he say? No, throw me in. So I'm wondering about this guy Jonah, and, and I wonder about us as well. How much does it take to get his attention? How far does it have to go to get his attention? How much, how much does God have to put you and I through before he gets our attention? I think the biggest question is this. Why do we wait so long to turn to him? Why do we wait so long to turn to him? And then we pray. We, we, we go as long as we possibly, possibly can, and then we pray. Man, isn't that kind of messed up? When you're thinking about it, you hear me talk about it, if you're with me, if you're tracking with me on this thing. Are you tracking with me? You know, he went through all this stuff and got to this point, and finally, it says, from inside the fish he prayed. He had to get inside the fish. Now, have you ever been in the belly of a fish? Close. Literally, maybe not. Maybe Mark has. He's, he's a diver. Maybe literally you've never been in a fish, but have you ever felt like you're in the middle of a situation, like you've been swallowed up? And it's not pretty in there. You ever, that is, has that ever happened to you? We end up in places like that sometimes. And I had to step back from that a second and say, well, how did we get there? How did we end up there? Well, in Jonah's case, and, and many times in our, in our case, 
We end up there because of our own sin, our own rebellion. It's our own fault we end up there. But is that always the case? No. Sometimes it's just life. It's not our fault. It's just life, and we end up in that place. Maybe it's someone else's fault. And, and again, we're reaping kind of the fruit from their behavior and their choices. So kind of in the end, does it matter? How, you, how we got there doesn't really matter, does it? The, what matters is, is that the answer is that we pray, right? When we find ourselves in this situation, and, and so I've titled this message today, very simple, In the Belly Prayer. Because I think you can remember that, right? In the Belly Prayer. Does it have to? Get to this before we pray? We have to end up there? It's much better to pray first, right, than to get there and then go, wow, man, I got all this stuff going on now. I've been swallowed up by all this. Look at verse 2. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Jonah had to get to this place of extreme distress. And again, it wasn't like that picture I showed you with a nice little pad inside. He was in distress. It was a downward, downward, downward trend. He went down to Joppa, it says. He went down into the ship. He went down into the sea. So what's the only way to look? Now, isn't that true? That's kind of what happens. We, we, we have to get to the place where there is nowhere else to look but up. Why? Why are we like that? It's not just Jonah. And Jonah was, you know, spiritual. He was a prophet. I don't know why. I think we're just stubborn. I think we're just, the Bible talks about being stiff-necked. You ever get a stiff-necked? Some of you have one right now. You go, I'm getting a stiff neck right now because he's like saying bad stuff to me. (laughs) I'm feeling like stiff neck. When you get a stiff neck, you can't turn. You can't do anything. You're just like fixed. And that's kind of like the way we are. We're fixed. We're not willing. But I found this quote by Warren Wiersbe, which I wanted to read. His prayer, that is Jonah's prayer, was born out of affliction, not affection. He cried out to God because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord. But better that he should pray compelled by any motive than not to pray at all. See, it doesn't really matter how we got there. It doesn't really matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter if we pray because we we just love God so much and we want to do whatever he wants. What matters is that we pray. That we call out to him. That we call out to the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I think Jonah you know, had new psalms. And, and so much this, this prayer that we see here in chapter 2 are just like the psalms. Out of the depths I cry to you. That's in the belly prayer, isn't it? But notice here in verse 2, he says, And you listened to my cry. You listened. Excuse me, in verse 2, the first part, he says, He answered me. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. The second half says he listened to my cry. He answered me, and one thing is very, very clear, is this, that God wants to, to answer. He's more willing to answer than we are to ask. Do you believe that? And I'm not talking about some kind of, uh, you know, hyper-spiritual, uh, you know, positive confession kind of thing. I'm just talking about our own stubbornness where we're not willing to pray. And, and he's waiting for us to finally get to the place where we say, God, help. And then he, what does he do? He helps us. He answered me. How many of you have a cell phone? And when you get that call and you don't want to hear it, what do you do? You can just push a button, reject, send a voicemail, whatever your phone says. Don't want that call. I can't picture God ever saying to you or to me, you know, you're on your own, you rebel. Well, maybe some of you I can picture that. Or maybe me, I could picture that. He answered me. He answered me. Turn with me to the book of Lamentations. That's just back a little ways, right after the book of Jeremiah, because it's the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 52. It's a long chapter, isn't it? 52. In this particular case, he's talking about his enemies got him into this particular spot. He said, those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit. And threw stones at me, the waters closed over my head, and I thought it was about to be cut off. Verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. And you came near when I called you, and you said, do not fear. O Lord, you took up my case, you redeemed my life. Isn't that cool? Again, it doesn't matter how we got there, where it's our fault or our enemies or someone else, some situation, just life. He's waiting. He hears and he answers. And I think he says what he says to, to, in the Lamentations here. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. We're, we're prone to fear. I don't know about you. And, and you know, it, it just pops up. You ever feel that? That fear just kind of pops up. How, you know, how am I ever going to get out of this situation? How am I ever going to survive? That's what happens back here in, in the rest of that verse in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. He said, from the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. From the depths of the grave, it says. In other words, he thought, this is it. I'm a dead man. And I'm wondering, again, he told the sailors, throw me in. Maybe, maybe he was okay with that. But sometimes it gets to that place where we, we just think, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. But he cried out to the Lord. Second Chronicles, I, I found this verse because I really liked it. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. 
Isn't that cool? Their prayer reached heaven. And no matter what kind of situation, what kind of in-the-belly prayer, wherever we're at, whatever situation, your prayer is going to reach heaven. I can say that because that's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. You listened to my cry. Look at verse 3 back in Jonah. He says, you hurled me into the deep. No coddling there. Into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. But I thought, I thought that the sailors threw him in. How did he get there? It says God got him there and Jonah knew it. See, Jonah knew that he wasn't just dealing with sailors. He was dealing with God in the end. In the end, that's who you and I deal with. It's God himself. Not just people around us. Look at verse 4. He said, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I have been banished from your sight. Now, is that true? Was he banished from God's sight? No. When we get in those positions, though, we, we say things like that. True, right? God, you don't care. God, you can't see me. God, you don't even know where I am right now. God, where are you? You've left me on, on my own now. What is going on? None of it is true, though, right? Because we kind of get messed up. We get this perspective, and we are just plain messed up, and we've got these thoughts going through our minds, and hyperbole. Do you know what hyperbole is? I know what hyperbole is. It's extravagant exaggeration, and that's what you and I do. We say it's, it's so bad, it is the end, and it might not even be that bad. You got scratched on the knee or something, right? And, and whatever it is, whatever it might be, God hasn't left you. You haven't been banished from his sight. He says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. It kind of, he kind of gives us the answer there, you know, even in his confusion. He thinks God stopped looking at him. But really, who, who stopped looking? Jonah stopped looking at him. He says, he says there, I will look again toward your holy temple. So if anybody moved, who moved? Jonah moved. It wasn't God. Jonah turned away. It wasn't God who turned away. John, God was continually looking, watching. He had his hand upon him. He never let go. Look at verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? Have you ever been to the beach when the seaweed is like really bad and it's like hot and you're going to go in? You want to go body surfing, whatever you want to do. The seaweed is so bad, though, and it's like getting all around you and stuff. It's like it's not enjoyable at all, at all is it? Seaweed was wrapped around his head like this is not a pleasant circumstance here. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountain, of the mountains I sank, where? Down. He's going down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. There's one of those hyperboles, right? Well, it wasn't forever, was it? Nope. 
We think it is, though. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. But you brought my life up from the pit. Up, see. Our emotions take us down. God brings us up. That's what he does. How? By turning back to him, by calling out to him, by praying to him. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And again, he's speaking about heaven because it says there, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. My prayer rose to you. He hears from heaven. I want to encourage you today that God hears your prayers. He hears from heaven. How can he do that? Because he's God. He's not a man. I can barely hear you from where you're sitting now. What did you say? My hearing, you know, it's that rock music, you know. But God can hear you no matter where you are. That's amazing to me. Verse 8, let's wrap this up. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We cling to things, worthless things that keep us from turning to Him. We hold on to things that are worthless. They're idols. But they keep us from surrendering and bowing the knee before Him. We have all kinds of stuff. And here in our country, we are blessed with stuff, right? And it keeps us from bowing the knee to Him and calling out to Him and, and keeps us from the grace that He wants to pour out upon us. Look at verse 9. But I... But I... Verse 6 said, but you, finally says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed I will make good. But I, with a song of, of, of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I was thinking about that, you know. When you are in the middle of the belly, do you feel like singing? That's probably one of the last things you feel like doing. But you know there's power in it. There's power in the music and, and a song of worship to the Lord. That's why we, we, we use a lot of music and we have a lot of songs because we, they get in you, don't they? And these songs get in you. Like the one we sang, Psalm 61, it's right out of the Bible, right verse by verse out of the Bible, word for word. And so these are prayers that, that we can sing to him in our own. Maybe not out loud. Maybe you say, I don't want anybody to hear me. Some of you think that here at church too. I don't want anybody to hear me. Who cares? You know, sometimes, sometimes that is going to set you free. I want to just encourage you to sing. Don't be afraid to sing. Singing is cool. You're going to sing down at the rock concert or the rap concert or whatever concert it is that you go to, right? Can you not sing to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Amen. I'm sorry if I sound harsh. 
song. And then the second half of that verse, he says, What I have vowed, I will make good. That, again, that's so human like us, right? We get in the middle of this. We get into the belly of whatever situation it is. We get to that place where it's distressed, totally bad, hurting, problem, everything else. See, we wrapped around your neck. And then what do you do? You finally get to the place and then you say, oh, God, please help me. And I promise you that I will. And then you fill in, I will give you money. Like he needs your money. I will, I will go to church every Sunday. I will, I will. Don't, you know, don't bother with all the promises. Just call out to his name. Because, because really what he says is that if we make promises, we should keep them. And that's what Jonah's saying here. What I have vowed, I will make good. If you make promises in Ecclesiastes, it says, when you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He says, it's better to not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So don't make promises that you can't keep. Okay? He, his saving and rescuing of you and me, they're not dependent on us making a promise to do something. Now, if you really, really, really feel like you want to, then go ahead and do it. That's okay. But follow through, right? But I found this, this uh, scripture in Psalm 66. Oh, it's not here. There it is. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. <laughs> Be careful. Don't, don't bother it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So summing up, the last phrase there in verse 9 is that salvation comes from the Lord. That is really the, the summation of all of it. Rescue, salvation comes from Yahweh, from the Lord, from Him. The uh, guy, uh, Schofield, who wrote a, a study Bible, have you heard of the Schofield study Bible? He felt like this particular phrase is the theme of the whole Bible. This particular phrase, salvation comes from the Lord, is the theme of the whole Bible. And he's probably right about that. Number one, we need to be saved. We are, we are hurting. And apart from, apart from heaven, apart from Jesus, we are hurting. We're in a bad way. But salvation comes from him. The Father sent his son, Jesus. We need Jesus, the Savior. So my question to you is, is this. Have you turned to him? Have you believed in him? Have you called out to him? Because to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today is the day you need to call out to him. If you've never called out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, do it today. Don't wait. Don't say, I'll do it next week. Next, I'll do it when I really, really get in trouble. You've heard of, you know, uh, foxhole conversions, right? They wait until they get into trouble, and then they call out to the Lord, and then as soon as they get rescued, then they go about their business, and it means nothing to them. That's kind of what, what I was speaking about when we make these promises. You don't have to wait until you get into trouble to call the name, out on the name of Jesus. Just do it. Do it today. Finally, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah 
onto the dry land. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? The fish was more obedient than Jonah had been. <laughs> Where did he vomit him out? I don't know. No one knows for sure. How did he look? Some think he was like bleached from the acid in the belly of the whale. And, you know, when we end up in the belly of whatever the circumstances, maybe it kind of shows sometimes, you know, there's like scars or whatever. Warren Wiersbe said this, what an ignominious way for a distinguished prophet to arrive on shore. <laughs> now, I had to look up ignominious. It sounds cool. I like the word, but you know, I use words sometimes, you don't even know what they mean, but it just basically means this, humiliating, undignified, and embarrassing. For a prophet to end up on shore. Here I am. Vomit. Well, he had to go take a shower, I guess. But the thing is, he's given a second chance. This in-the-belly prayer. Better not to be there, of course, but just pray. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. The Lord will hear. And the Lord will answer. And we have got to be careful not to be so stubborn and so stiff-necked. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we come before your throne. We ask you to forgive us for our sin and for our rebellion. And we're no different than this great prophet Jonah. We've gone our own way. Each of us have gone our own way. We're like sheep that have gone astray. And so we call out to you, we call upon the name of Jesus that we might uh, be rescued and saved, first of all, for all eternity. And secondly, in, in these situations that we find ourselves, doesn't matter how we get there in the end, it's, it's that you're hearing us and you're going you're gonna to bring us up out of the pit, out of the distress. In your way, in your own time, and it may even be messy, but Lord, we can trust you. We, you you have not banished us from your sight, but you've got your hand upon us. You've got your hand upon your children, upon your people. Father God, we uh, pray as well this morning for any who maybe have never made that decision, and I want to encourage you right now as we pray to do that, simply call out to Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation comes from the Lord, we just read. And you just call upon his name and, and believe and receive what he has to give you, a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good stuff. You can't make enough promises to get anything from me. It's a free gift. All you have to do is ask. Simply ask him, say, Jesus, I, I want what, what you came to give me. Your death on the cross, the resurrection, the life that you offer me. I come and I need it. I ask you for it. I believe in you. Father, thank you again for your great, great love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?